If you're a parent, teacher, or school leader, and you're sick and tired of the frustration, anger, and unfair treatment of children at high risk in our public schools, then perhaps it's time for all of us to do something about it. In this podcast, Dr. Amitra Berry brings you tips, tools, strategies, and tactics to build successful solutions while touching, moving, and inspiring all of us to transform our schools so that every child thrives. Here's your host, Dr. Berry. Hey there, Equity Warriors. Glad to have you here again today. You know, I usually like to open these podcasts with a good quote, but on the subject of oppression, there were so many, I couldn't pick just one. So I'm going to talk about the four eyes of oppression today. So I'm going to give you four good quotes on oppression to get you in the right headspace. So first, William Pinckney, who was the U.S. Attorney General under James Madison, said, oppression is but another name for irresponsible power. Like that one. And then um, Joseph Addison, a 17th century English poet, playwright, and politician, said, no oppression is so heavy or lasting as that which is inflicted by the perversion and exorbitance of legal authority. Think about it. And don't get mad that I started with two old white guys. From Gloria Steinem, American feminist, journalist, and social political activist, Gloria Steinem said, Oppression has no logic, just a self-fulfilling prophecy justified by a self-perpetuating system. And last but not least, at least for now, Frederick Douglass, American abolitionist and escaped slave, orator, writer, and statesman said, oppression makes a wise man mad. I love that one. Short and to the point. So let's start first by defining oppression so we are all thinking about the same thing. Oppression can be defined as a prolonged, cruel, or unjust treatment or control of a people. And now, of course, if we're talking about the systemic oppression in America, we're talking about people of color, particularly indigenous, black, and brown people. But oppression doesn't just impact people of color. It also impacts marginalized groups that are not covered by the definition of systemic racism. Stay with me and start to make these connections here. What's the same and what's different, compare and contrast with the four tiers of racism. And if you didn't listen to that podcast, you might want to pause this one, stop it, go back, listen to the four tiers of racism, come back to this one or review it afterward. But there are four types of oppression that can be visualized like the layers of the earth. So let's go back to some of our... uh, what is that? Sixth grade geography? World geography? Who knows? Whatever it is, the layers of the earth. And we're going to take each in turn. So we start at the outer, outer layer, the crust. So the crust is ideological oppression. It's what society and the dominant culture believes and what they teach, even if it's vicariously. What they teach about what is right and normal and what is not right or other and abnormal. 
This is where the isms come from. Racism, sexism, colorism, classism, ableism. These isms are intentionally developed to fit the narrative that is this ideological oppression. See, oppressive systems all have at their core the same idea that one group is somehow better than all of the other groups, or at least one other group. And for that reason, their self-proclaimed superiority, that they have the right to control those other groups. This idea of superiority might be expressed in a number of different ways. You'll hear these, or you've heard them, that the oppressing group is more intelligent, that they're harder working, that they're stronger, more capable, nobler, more deserving, more advanced, that they are chosen. How often have you heard that, even when it's a subtle message? And on the flip side, of course, they assign the opposite qualities to the others, to the peoples that are marginalized, that they are stupid, lazy, weak, incompetent, worthless, less deserving, backward, inferior. Just pull yourself up by your bootstraps and it doesn't matter that you don't have boots. Again, how often have you heard these things labeling entire races or entire identities of people, people who are other than white, heteronormative, cisgendered? And then think about how this crust, ideological oppression, compares to tier one systemic structural racism. So that's the first layer. Inside of that crust is institutional oppression. And this is about what our our institutions and laws decide that is right and normal and what is not right and abnormal, what is other than right and normal. And when you think about institutional oppression, think systems, media, healthcare, legal, education, religious, banking, finance. See, maintaining and furthering the crust of ideological oppression is that idealized superiority that gives a socially dominant group the right to control the others. And this idea gets embedded in our institutions, in our businesses, in our educational systems, our schools, in our legal systems. It's enshrined into law and policy and practice. It's the images that we see in the media and how other groups are portrayed. Institutionalized sexism, for example, is what provides for women continuing to earn two-thirds of what a man makes, even when they are equally educated, equally qualified, and equally competent. Institutional classism is what maintains the achievement gap between Title I learners and those learners of higher socioeconomic status. You see, institutionalized oppression provides for the dominant culture to control the language itself that's used to describe all the groups in society. It gives the power to make things visible when they want us to see it and invisible when they don't. 
it's institutionalized oppression that created incarceration as a penalty during the war on drugs that targeted people of color. It's what makes trafficking marijuana across our southern borders violent felonies punishable by up to life in prison. But then it's the same system that labels an opioid epidemic that has disproportionately impacted middle-class white families, labels that a healthcare crisis that can be solved by healthcare and treatment for addiction. While at the same time, the drug manufacturers and doctors who overprescribe are treated as, as white-collar, not-so-harmful criminals, they get a fine at a maximum of 10 years in club fed. Think about that and how this compares to Tier 2 or institutional racism. That's the institutional oppression. First layer inside the crust. Third layer in is interpersonal. And just like interpersonal racism, interpersonal oppression is how people treat one another as a result of being taught what is right and what is other by the dominant group. And this is where the jokes come into play. Racist jokes, sexist jokes, classist jokes. This is the locus, the, the, the origin of abuse and harassment of marginalized groups. This is the stuff we can see above the surface, the stuff that's in our faces. Ideological and institutional oppression give permission and reinforcement for individual people, members of the dominant group, to personally mistreat individuals in the marginalized or oppressed groups. This system is their permission. The interpersonal oppression is the act. So, as I explained, that interpersonal racism is what white people do to people of color up close. Racist jokes, stereotypes, beating, harassments, threats, personal acts of discrimination... Interpersonal oppression is what the dominant group does to marginalize people up close. Same thing, but more groups covered here. Similarly, interpersonal sexism is what men do to women. The sexual abuse, the harassment, the violence directed at women, the sexist jokes, ignoring and minimizing women's thinking. And interpersonal classism is what people of higher SES do to poor people, the working classes, that mistreatment of them in their places of work, jokes, abuse, denigrating them for a lack of education or, or their perceived lack of ambition, and hence their impoverished or low-class status. Now, many people in the dominant group are not consciously oppressive. They have internalized the negative messages about other groups and consider their attitudes towards those other groups normal because that's what their society says. Others are so lost in their privilege that they can't even see their oppression working. And then finally, all the way in, deep at the core, is internal Oppression And internal oppression is about how individuals feel and think about themselves. This is about how we internalize that ideology of oppression that has come in from the crust, all of those experiences, and how we internalize that 
Now, when oppressed people internalize the ideology of inferiority, and not all oppressed people internalize this ideology, clearly, but when they do, they see it reflected in their institutions. They experience mistreatment interpersonally from members of the dominant group. And in time, they come to internalize all those negative messages about themselves. They are in the sunken place. They feel inferior and they rationalize that inferiority or they deny it in order to make themselves feel better. But when we get to a point where people have internalized their oppression, it means that the oppressor no longer needs to exert any more pressure. I now have those messages and I can oppress myself quite well. But what also happens is that people who have internalized their oppression often go out and oppress others in marginalized groups. You see, oppression always begins from the outside of the oppressed groups. People don't just decide to oppress themselves. There's external pressure. But by the time it gets down deep inside, by the time it's internalized, the external oppression doesn't even need to be felt for the damage to be done. It's done. It's in your head. It's in your body. And it's acting out in the way you treat other people, people who look like you or people from other marginalized groups. So people from oppressed groups may feel bad about themselves, but they don't, sometimes they don't have the power to direct those feelings back towards the dominant group that is oppressing them without getting beaten up even more. And there are really only two places to go. They can, they can dump their, their, their feelings on themselves, oppressing themselves even more, or they, they engage in what's called horizontal violence, right? Oppressing other people within their group. I don't want to mention any names here, but I'm sure you'll figure out like a certain rap star designer who does this all the time. That horizontal violence. So horizontal violence is also what um, often we talk about or we hear about what's termed by the media black on black crime or black on black violence, right? That horizontal violence because they don't have anywhere else to go. They don't have the power to oppress their oppressors. So they look for someone else they can oppress. People in any target group have to struggle really hard to keep from feeling powerless, from feeling despair. On the way to eliminating institutional oppression, every single group, every oppressed group has to undo those internalized beliefs, those internalized attitudes, those internalized behaviors that have their roots in oppression. They have to do that work in order to build unity, to, to empower people within their group in order to feel proud of their contributions, what their people have done. 
so with all of that, we have to understand that there is no such thing as reverse racism, right? Or reverse oppression. You can't, people who are oppressed don't have the power, much like with racism. You can have prejudice, you can have anger towards groups or individuals. And often we, we act out with that anger in ways that are destructive and harmful. But in almost every single instance where this happens, that acting out is severely punished because the system supports the system. And the people who are oppressed are being oppressed by the system. They don't have the power to get even. It's not backed up by a legal system. It's not backed up by the prevailing institutions. And to be clear as well, none of the four levels or types of oppression can exist in and of themselves. They can't exist separately. They are interrelated. Each is supported by the others. So if we want to dismantle oppression, it has to be challenged at all four levels in order to get a change. Martin Luther King Jr. said that the ultimate tragedy is not the oppression and cruelty by the bad people, but the silence over that by the good people. The fundamental tools to fight oppression are knowledge and voice. Know what it is. Understand the differences between the four types. Recognize it when it's in your face. And then speak up and use your voice to educate others. As I say similarly about racism and being an anti-racist, you have to have some skin in the game. You have to be willing to put your body on the line. If you really are going to be an ally, there has to be some personal risk to it. And if you look like a member of the dominant group, you will be heard a lot more clearly, a lot more loudly, and taken very differently than people of marginalized groups who say the same. And I'll leave you with the words of Malcolm X, who said, quote, And I, for one, will join in with anyone. I don't care what color you are. As long as you want to change this miserable condition that exists on this earth. So join me every week. Send me your questions, topics, and requests at AskDrBerry.com, and I will answer those questions and bring you experts to help address those topics. Don't worry about things you cannot change. Change the things you can no longer accept. I'll see you next time. That's it for today's episode of the 3E Podcast. Head over to iTunes and subscribe to the show. One lucky listener every single week that posts a review on iTunes will win a chance in a grand prize drawing to win a $25,000 value private VIP day with Dr. Barry herself. Be sure to head over to 3epodcast.com and pick up a free copy of Dr. Barry's gift. Then join us on the next episode.